welcome back. Last week, Joseph had just been sold to Potiphar, a bigwig official who worked for Pharaoh. The story continues. As it turned out, God was with Joseph and things went very well for him. Joseph's master saw that God was working for good in everything he did and ended up putting him in charge of all his personal affairs, turning everything over to him. From that moment on, God blessed everything in the home of the Egyptian, all because of Joseph. And all Potiphar had to concern himself with was eating three meals a day. Now, Joseph was a strikingly handsome man, and as time went on, his master's wife became infatuated with Joseph and one day said, sleep with me. But Joseph wouldn't do it. He said, look, my master has put me in charge of everything he owns and treats me as an equal. The only thing he hasn't given to me is you. You're his wife after all. How could I violate Potiphar's trust and sin against God? She pestered him day after day, but he stood his ground. On one of those pestering days, Joseph rocked up for work and none of the household servants were around. And she grabbed him by his coat saying, sleep with me. So Joseph does the old squeeze out of a coat trick and just bolts. At this, Potiphar's wife called to her house servants, look, this bloke shows up and before you know it, he's trying to seduce me. He tried to make a move on me, but I yelled as loud as I could. And with all my yelling, he's run out but forgotten his coat. See, it's right here. And she kept his coat right there as proof until her husband came home. And after hearing her version of the story, Potiphar was furious. So much so, he threw Joseph into the jail where the king's prisoners were locked up. But there in jail, God was still with Joseph. He reached out in kindness to him and put him on good terms with the head jailer who then put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners and ended up managing the whole operation. The head jailer gave Joseph free reign. He never even checked on him because God was with him. Whatever Joseph did, God made sure it worked out for the best. Well, glad to have you here with us this morning. It's been really good to be um, together. Whether you're tuning in to us from, uh, for the first time or you've been with us for a long time, glad to have you here with us this morning. Or if you're checking out God or if you've checked into God for some time, equally good to be with you today and good to be together. Well, last week we started off a new series. It was entitled uh, Growing Pains, and it's a story about a young boy who grew up to save the world. In fact, that young boy's name of Joseph. And we discovered last week that Joseph was one of uh, 11 other brothers at the time. He was the youngest. He had his uh, older father, um, his father Jacob, and his father had four wives. And the sibling rivalry was just completely intense. And there's three things we discovered about Joseph. Firstly, that he was a bit of a dobber. He came back one day from and uh, gave a bad report about his brothers who were out in the field tending the flocks. And we get this sense in which Joseph was actually using that bad report in order to leverage advantage against his father. So it would put him in a good light. And that played into the second part. The second thing we discovered about Joseph is that, that he was doted on by his dad. So much so that he wore this particular coat 
this bright colored coat so that whenever his other brothers saw him, it just would stir within them and cause some great anxiety and tension. In fact, the third thing we discovered about Joseph is that he was a dreamer. God communicated to him at a young age through dreams. One time he had a dream about the sun and the moon and 10 other stars bowing down to him and he shared that with his family and they were so indignant they thought, here we are, what, we're bowing down to the youngest member of our family and of course, all of these things created such tension within the life and within the, the sibling rivalry amongst his brothers that they couldn't even speak a good word about him. In fact, the story says that, that he was actually hated by his brothers. They couldn't say anything kind, such that one day when he was out going to give another report about his brothers, his father had sent him out into the fields. The brothers saw him coming and they schemed a way in which they could kill him. And so they took him and they ripped off his coat and they threw him into a pit. And then they saw that there was this group of traders that were heading down south to Egypt. And so they decided with a little bit of time and pause to actually sell him to these slave traders, if you like, that were heading south. And so they did just that and they took his coat and they tore it into shreds and they dipped it into animal's blood and they showed it to their father. And they let him draw the conclusion that his son had been attacked by a wild animal and that he was dead. And so we went into deep grieving. And that's where the story ended up last week. Growing pains. But this week what we're doing is we're picking up that same thing and we're going to explore another part, the new chapter, if you like, in the life of Joseph. And it's titled Unfair. I wonder if you've ever been caught in a situation that seems unreasonable, unjust, unfair, and there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe you've been falsely accused. Maybe a public humiliation, or, or, or maybe you just suffer silently in your own grief. You've been accused, you've been labelled, and it's unfair, unjust and unreasonable, but there you are. Well, what do you do? Well, we pick up the story with Joseph this week, and if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 39, the book of beginnings, because the story continues. For what we learn is that Joseph was taken down south into Egypt, and it says that Joseph was taken down and he was sold to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian. He bought him from the Ishmaelites, who were the slave traders. And there we discover Joseph is actually working, if you like, as a slave within the household of Potiphar, captain of the guard. And it says the next very thing, the not line that's mentioned there in verse 2 is, but the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. We have this sense early on in Joseph's life is that he is a natural born leader. It's the kind of person that, that when he speaks, other people hear and listen and they follow but behind the scenes, we get this sense also is that God's working and moving in and around his situation, his particular circumstances, and he's making, if you like, Potiphar favorable, uh, Joseph favorable in the eyes of Potiphar, his master. And so we soon discover that promotion breeds promotion breeds promotion because Joseph works through the ranks, if you like, of the household such that if we find that, that Joseph is finally put in charge of the entire mechanism, the entire working. If you like, he's made the 2IC within the company. And it seems as though there's nothing that isn't given under Jacob's charge. You see, Potiphar has come to see that Joseph is a trustworthy person. He is a formidable leader, that he is faithful 
And so he places all, if you like, of his household, all of his business in the hands of Joseph and he's left in charge. Well, this sort of broods because there's something that's twisting that's about to happen that the narrator mentions because it describes Joseph as being handsome and attractive to Potiphar's wife. And so we soon find out and discover that behind the scenes, there's another plot that's emerging. You see, Potiphar's wife starts to make advances at Joseph. So one time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and came to him and said, would you lie with me? Of course, maybe at the beginning, this might have been flattering for Joseph. It's nice to have some affections drawn your way, but... As days went into weeks, went into months, there was this sense of persistence. Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph and she wanted to lie with him or for him to lie with her. And so we find that Joseph's in this scenario, this situation where he's caught to make a decision. I mean, what will he do? And there's one sense in which Joseph could go ahead and take advantage of this situation. After all, he's put in charge of everything. No one else would know. Everything around about him is given into his charge. I mean, Potiphar trusts him so much, he is so, has, carries a sense of loyalty that no one would know. I mean, after all, he could just enjoy the pleasures of a female in his life. He could actually enjoy extending all of the authority and the, the power that he does have. I mean, no one would find out. But that's not what Joseph does. Because on the other side of it, he has another deciding decision to make, if you like. He is trusted. He's been placed in this position of authority, of influence. What will he do? Will he leverage his authority and his power for his own pleasure and for his own advantage? Or will he take the authority he has and the loyalty that's been entrusted into him and, and hold that close? And so we discover that Joseph, if you like... He's caught between two opportunities, a dilemma. And then one day when the house is, is vacant of everyone and you sense that there's a setup, finally Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph and she says these words, or the way the narrator describes them is this, she comes up and she grabs hold of his garment and she says, finally, will you lie with me? And in that moment, Joseph has to make a decision. Will he give in to her wants and her needs just so, if you like, he can placate her for a time? Or will he actually choose to do something else and choose the higher way, the higher road, even though it might cost him? Right there in that instance, he makes his decision. She grabs hold of his garment and, if you like, he flees and he doesn't wrestle off her. He, He allows the garment to be torn from him, but he leaves nonetheless and he runs out of the house. Well, this is the final moment, the moment of spurn, if you like, for Potiphar's wife. She's furious. She gets so angry. She just waits and she calls out with a loud voice. Here is this Hebrew that's come into our house to take advantage of me. She twists the events. She twists the circumstances and she waits until her husband gets home. And when he gets home, she's holding the garment in front and she explains and says, you brought this Hebrew into our house and he has treated me like sport. Look at what he's done and I've got his garment to prove it. Well, Potiphar is furious. He calls Joseph before him. 
And he hears the circumstances that have unfolded and he believes his wife and he sends him once more into prison, it says, where he is left to rot. So Joseph's master took him, it says in verse 20, and put him into prison. And we discover and find that here he is after all this time, it seems as though we're right back where we started again last week with Joseph, where he's in another kind of pit, but this time it's a prison and he's been thrown there and it's been unfair and it's unjust and it's unreasonable, but here we are back in the same place again. Or are we? Because there's two things that are striking about these series of events that have just unfolded. The first one is, is that this series of events seems to have this, this uncanny resemblance to the series of events that happened before when Joseph with, was with his family back up north. I mean, after all, you can see the events unfolding first. Uh, we were told in chapter 37 that, that Joseph gave a, a bad report about his brothers You'll see it on the screen right now. And then, and then secondly, that not only did he give a bad report, that the garments that he had um, were, were taken and stripped off him by his brothers. And then we find that lastly, he was thrown into a pit. And this has this uncanny resemblance to the, the, the kind of events that have been taking place and unfolding right now in this same situation in, in chapter 39. I mean, the only difference is that this time, the person who gives a bad report, if you like, is is actually Potiphar's wife and she's grabbed hold of his garment and now here he is, he's been thrown into prison. And if you like, we look at these, these series of events and we think that there's this uncanny resemblance. This is like Joseph's Groundhog's Day. You remember Groundhog's Day in 1990s, that, that, that film with Bill Murray where he was trapped in the same day repeated after time and time again until he'd learned life's lessons. And only after he'd learned the lesson of life was he sort of set free from that, that same repeating day. But this is, if you like, Joseph's Groundhog Day. I mean, here it is, the same events back again. This time Potiphar's wife has his garment and she's the one who's giving the bad report. Now he's thrown into a kind of prison, a pit, if you like. And so well, what can we discover? Is this the same situation or is it actually something's changed and something's different in this sequence of, of events? And I want to suggest to you that something has changed. Something is different. In the past, Joseph would give a bad report to leverage for his advantage. And that garment was stripped off him by his brothers. But the difference in this situation is that Potiphar's wife's giving a bad report and it's unfair and it's unjust and it's unreasonable but this time, the garment that's been taken off him is not the garment that's been stripped off him. It's the garment that he has left behind. So I want to suggest to you the difference between the two scenarios is that Joseph was unwittingly and unwillingly and unfairly placed into the first pit. And this second scenario has him unfairly, unwittingly and unreasonably thrown into another kind of pit. But this time it wasn't forced upon him. This time he chose, if you like, to go into that prison. He walked in there because he decided to walk the higher road. If you're like Joseph, he's learning through growing pains a different way of living a different way of understanding Joseph's growing up. 
You see, he knew it was wrong for him. He knew it was wrong for her. He knew it was a wrong against Potiphar. And he knew it was wrong by God. So even though he was in the midst of that place and he'd been placed in that prison, it was unfair and it was unreasonable and it was unjust. The only difference I suggest between the previous story and this one is that Joseph decided to take the higher road, even if it hurt him personally. I wonder if you're in a situation in a scenario right now that's unfair, that's unreasonable, that is unjust. But you're there in that situation because you have decided to take a higher way even if you take the hit yourself. There's one thing that they couldn't take away from Joseph and that was his integrity, to want to be loyal to his master, to be wanting to be faithful to his master, to not abuse and misuse his power for his own self-advantage. I wonder if you're in a situation and a scenario right now where you're faced with a similar dilemma and situation and you can choose the lower road or you can choose the higher road and you know that if you do, it might hit you and it might hurt you and it might be unfair and unreasonable and unjust, but you know in your heart of hearts that is the right thing. It's right by you and it's right by God, even if it's to your disadvantage. You see, I want to suggest to you that the difference between the two stories Joseph wasn't thrown in the pit against his will. Joseph walked into that prison because it was the right choice and will and journey and decision to make. The second thing that strikes me about this story, this scenario, it's even more powerful than the first one, is that how we discover and hear in the very first or of second, second line of this, this event is that even in the midst of Joseph being sold into slavery, that we are told that God was with him. What's striking and powerful about this is that it challenges some of our own, if you like, understanding and frames about the world. I mean, after all, Joseph's the heroine, isn't he? Joseph's the one that everything's supposed to go right for, isn't he? I mean, Joseph has God with him, doesn't he? And if God is with him, why do bad things happen to blokes like Joseph? I mean, that challenges, if you like, our frameworks about the way in which we believe and feel life works. I suggest it challenges us in two ways. The first way it challenges us is that it challenges our grid or our frame of happiness. The way in which we've constructed our understanding about the way in which life works in our Western consumer capitalist culture. You see, we are told that happiness is our right, our inalienable right that we have a right to flourishing, that we have a right to happiness, that we have a right to prosperity. And whenever that is challenged, if you like, it seems like it's an intrusion upon our rights and privileges. I suggest to you that's exactly why so many people find it hard to wear a mask during COVID time. Or even why some people wrestle and say, why should COVID be happening to us in the very first place? After all, haven't we been promised a life of prosperity? Haven't we been promised a life of of happiness? Haven't we been promised a life of flourishing? Somewhere back a few decades prior, 
See, our culture bought into this idea that we're all incredibly special. And that if we removed adversity and hardship from our kids' lives, then they would flourish. So that's why I suggest to you right now, one of the, the, the nuanced things, one of the things that is, is so popular right now is this idea of grit and resilience. Why? Because a few decades ago, someone said, actually, it's not good for kids to climb up into trees because they might fall and hurt themselves. It's not good for kids to ride their bikes very fast because they could fall off and hurt themselves. And it's not good that our kids should play with fire because they might burn themselves and it will hurt themselves. And so what we did is as a whole culture, we retreated back and said, if we remove adversity, and hardship and trouble from our lives and from our kids' lives, they'll flourish. But what we discovered is this, is that we've removed from them one of life's great teachers, that when adversity and hardship comes, it might actually breed within us a kind of resilience that will enable us to flourish in ways that ease would never have allowed. And so we've grown up in this idea of that the world is just like one giant pass the parcel sort of game in which the, the magic of the music stops and everyone gets the same fair equal ideas and the, we all get a present at the end of the day. But the challenge of that scenario is that life just doesn't work that way. Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Travel, he puts it like this, chapter one, page one, line one, life is hard. And the sooner we acknowledge that, the quicker we'll be able to actually face life's problems and challenges. We'll be able to actually forge and shape a new kind of living and a new kind of way of being that allows us to stand up under life's challenges and adversities. I suggest to you that Joseph was down in that prison and that God was with him. And the thing we find most unpalatable about about that is that it challenges one of our frameworks of life. And that is that we have the inalienable right to happiness. And I don't agree with that. The second thing I think it challenges, particularly in, if you like, a, a Christian's worldview, particularly some Jesus followers, some God followers who've come from certain traditions is that we've grown up believing that if I follow God and that if God is with me, that he will bless me. And what we mean by that is that God will bless me with success. He will bless me with money. He will bless me with health. In other words, that poverty and sickness and adversity has no place in the life of a Jesus follower because we've got this special bubble or the protective coating around us. And so the anomalies we have like Joseph is that he's been treated unfairly, unfairly, unreasonably and unjustly. And that is just an anomaly that just doesn't make sense. Why, if God is with him, would he be suffering in this way? I bumped into this most profoundly a year and a half ago when I was sitting in a house in Scotland and there was a family who would come to visit. And at the other end of the dining table sat a young woman, a young mum, who began to tell me about her story. You see, a couple of years ago, she was about to give birth to her son. And she went to hospital And they discovered soon enough that there were complications and problems with the birth. In fact, there were complications with the child. 
She said, there we were in the middle of the hospital and the news was just coming thick and fast that our child was unwell, our child was very sick and so I delivered our baby boy but they wished him away really quickly and, and linked him up with all the different technologies and, and all of the assistance for health and they were giving him all of the best care and she said we'd come from a tradition that said that if we prayed hard enough if that we worked hard enough if we did the right things enough that God would answer our prayers and that he would heal our child and so that's what we just did and, and as soon as she discovered that I was a pastor, she would speak to me like this. And she'd say, but pastor, what we did in that situation is we, we laid down there, right there in the middle of the hospital. And we began to call out and pray out to God. We got the text messages out and we sent them to our church family. And the whole church began to pray and to call out to God and to ask him to intervene in a miraculous way for our child. And she said, for the next two weeks, we did everything we believed enough, we prayed enough, we called enough, we named enough. And she said, Pastor, at the end of two weeks, our child died. And here she is standing, sitting across me in this, this kitchen table and it's coming up to two months away from her son's anniversary of his death. And she is weeping profusely. And she said to me, Pastor, I don't understand. Why is this happening? You see, we grew up in a tradition that said that if God was with us, that he would bless us and there would be no adversity. And if there was, that we could claim it and name it and pray for it, it would go away. Why? Why is this happening? And I realized as she told me that story, the two things happened that day in that hospital room. Two things died. Not only her son, but her faith as she knew it. You see, what she didn't have in her framework at that moment was a way in which she could respond to the adversity and suffering that Jesus' followers experience just like anyone else. See, there's a sense in her in which she had no framework to operate by. She grew up with this sense in which if I do the right things, if I pray hard enough, if I say the right words, that God would answer my prayers and that he would heal. But he didn't. See, there's usually three things that happen in a scenario, in a situation like that. And how someone responds. The first response is that they just simply jettison their faith. They just put it aside and say it doesn't work. The second thing that they can do is actually absorb the shock and the pain and the heartache. And they kind of put it on the side and then they just go on. They kick back into the same framework they operated by. And they just sort of think that that was an anomaly that doesn't quite fit. Or the third thing, the, the healthier thing, the, the better thing, the thing that she ended up doing was she reframed a faith that allowed for complexity and hardship and suffering even in the midst of God being with her. That's what she told me to tell you. Tell them, Pastor. Pastor. That what I've learned 
is that God is with us even in the midst of our grief. You see, when someone's going through a a situation, the circumstances that are unreasonable, unjust, unfair, or just downright painful, it's easy of us to offer platitudes to people. It's easy for us to stand at the top of the pit and say, oh, don't you worry, God's got a lesson he's trying to teach you. Or don't you worry because God's good and he's going to work this for good. You mightn't see it right now, but you just need to believe this and understand this. It's just beyond your understanding. And all the time the person sitting down at the bottom of the pit doesn't hear those things of encouraging words at all. What they'd really like is for someone to climb into that pit with them and sit right next to them and remind them and even in the midst of their pain and heartache and suffering that they are with them, grieving for them and with them and wanting to sustain them even in the midst of adversity. You see, the Bible does not answer the question why it never does. Oh, you read the Psalms and they will say to you over and over and over again, why God? Why God? Why God? But the Bible doesn't answer that question. But what it does answer is the question of God, where are you? And he resoundingly says in a great, powerful, loud voice, the same voice that Joseph was to hear in the midst of his suffering is that it says in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him. He was with him in the midst of his despair, in the midst of his heartache. He was with him right there. You see, this is the story. This is the story of Joseph. And this is the story for you. Where is God? Well, he's the one that climbs down into the pit and sits alongside you. And sustains you. How do I know that? Well, it's the story of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world, saw the mess and the brokenness and the sinfulness and the heartache and the suffering and the pain. What did he do? He came down and enfleshed himself. If you like, he climbed down into our pit and he sat alongside us and he suffered in our place. So he might be able to be the one who can sustain us in the midst of our suffering and our griefs and our heartaches too. So I wonder if you're here this morning. And I'm wondering if you're in a pit. It feels like a prison. And you've got here and it's unfair and it's unjust and it's unreasonable and it's just plain hard. And you've been asking the question, why God? If you might hear him whispering in your ear, would you shift the question? I can't answer the the why question Only heaven's throne will be able to answer that one one day when we're face to face. But if you want to know where I am, I want you to dare to believe that I am with you. And if you reach to me, I will give you my sustaining grace to hold up, to bear up, to follow with you, to be there with you, to empower you even in the midst of your heartache. I wonder how God might be speaking to you this morning. I wonder how you might want to respond to him now. You've got a choice to take the high road or the low road. 
go the high even at costs. And believe that God will sustain you in the midst. Or maybe you've been thrown in the pit. I wonder if you need to lean into God and ask Him for His sustaining grace even in the midst of the suffering. We're going to listen to a song right now and if you would like to respond, you might want to close your eyes. You might open up your hands. You might want to call out to God and ask Him to sustain you even in the midst of your heartache. He's with you always, even to the end of the age. Have a listen.